And welcome back to Deep Space Dating Game, your home for love on the four corners of the galaxy. We have our lovely lady, Commander Shepard, here to pick from one of our eager bachelors. Why don't you introduce yourself? Well, Chuck, I'm Commander Shepard, and this is my favorite game show in the galaxy. Oh, isn't that sweet? Now let's meet our bachelors. He's a biotic and has spare parts in all the right places. He's also a skilled fighter who will slay you with his charm. Let's say hello to Jacob Taylor. Hello, ladies. Next, we have a hunky soldier that's been training since he was 15 to conquer romance. This archangel will send an arrow of love right to your heart. Meet Gareth Vakarian. Arrow? What arrow? I use gun. What does that have to do with anything? And last, we have a successful business owner who has the right weapons for love's battlefield. He won't discount your taste when it comes to dating. He's Hera. Confidence. Hello, female. I have a couch waiting at the Afterlife nightclub just for the two of us. And now we've met our bachelors. Let's get to the questions. I want bachelor three. Um, you don't ask, you didn't ask any questions. I don't need to. Bachelor three. Hey, you didn't even give us a chance. Yeah, that's hardly fair. Look, guys, I'm sure you're nice, but there's just something about Elcor monotones that just is hot. Plus, I always know what he's feeling. Smug bravado. Suck it, losers. Once ladies go Elcor, they always come back for more. Yes, we do. Now about that couch. Aroused excitement, indeed. I know lots of tricks with cigars that will excite you. Well, this show was a bust. Wanna go grab a table dance at Cora's Den? <sighs> Might as well. Got nothing else to do. Uh, let's stop at a gas station first. I need to convert some credits into singles. This is RBG Backtrack, RB Gamer's official retro gaming podcast covering titles from the early days of PC gaming right up through the consoles of yesteryear. Join hosts Kelly Ryan, Matt Mason, and the estimable Mike Minky as they and their guests tell you what to borrow, what to buy, and what to relegate to that big backlog in the sky. Hello and welcome to RPG Backtrack, your regular deep dive into your favorite RPGs. We are a production of RPGamer.com, bringing you such fine podcasts like RPG Cast for your news and Q&A quests for your feedback. We're the Nostalgia Show and back from it, it feels like I'm, I haven't talked to him in a month and I think that's actually true. Mr. Matt Mason. Yes, it's uh, always a long vacation in the month of June. Things <laughs> yeah. things happen, good, bad, ugly, but I'm yeah. uh, happy to be back podcasting. Oh, we, we missed you. I mean, we managed to hold down the farm without you, but it, it's still just not the same without you. Um, I, I'm, of course, Kelly Ryan, and I've got a bunch of people on because we're going to talk some Mass Effect. Woohoo! 
I'll start with the new guy, Jervon. Um, he's reviewing the game. He's reviewing the game for the site, so that's why we're having him on. And then uh, f- fellow Western RPG aficionado, Josh Carpenter. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sure. Yeah, <laughs> we'll go with that. Yeah. <laughs> and then hit me with that title, huh? I mean, you seem to be the one that d- dives into the Western RPGs the most, at least of the RPG cast. Well, you and Jonathan Stringer, but uh, okay. he's busy. Okay. But um, not busy. We also have Robert Albright, who took the night off just for the show. Love me some Mass Effect. And, uh, you know, got to say, I'm getting about as we're getting more rain than Tachanka does here in, where I'm from lately. And then last but not least, um, I, I don't know what his uh, emotions are about this game. I, I never know with Pascal. It's Pascal Takaya. Um, yeah, it's a good thing none of us have shit to do tonight. <laughs> <laughs> We're not busy at all. <laughs> yeah, this I, might this might be one of the longer shows since the reboot, but I'm going to try to keep it under three hours. Um, I'm ready to dive into cover and cryo-free some suckers. <laughs> is that a so, thing yeah. you have in Mass Effect? Yes, <laughs> yes, it is. You're good. That was that was okay. I figured like, it's a Western RPG, so there's a good chance. Yeah, no, cryo is a thing. It, it's funny that you mentioned Frieze because I put this one in at the last minute because I originally had I Am Sitsuna scheduled for this slot, and that game is nothing but snow. Yeah, and I would have been on no matter what. <laughs> yeah, but appa- apparently nobody wanted to play that game. Um, or I think Ryan McCarthy was originally going to play it, and then he said he said that he didn't have time. And I was like, I don't want to put you through that just for the show. We'll do Mass Effect. I'm sure I can round up people for Mass Effect. And here we are. Um, talk- I, I actually, I actually said, hey, you know, have has is there a show on this? Someone said no. I was like, here, I'll put it in the uh, put it in the list, and like it filled up fast. Yeah, I think the old guard talked about Mass Effect at some point or another, but what the hell, let's just do it again. Um, All all new blood. Yeah, yeah, God, I feel old. I can't believe those games are 10 years old now. Even even older than that. Uh, 2007 was the first one. Mm -hmm. Now, um, just at the top of the show, spoiler alert, because the new trilogy, or the re-release of the trilogy did just come out. And if you've not played the games yet, warning, we will be spoiling every single bit of it. The entire show is going to be a spoiler tag, so just, just a heads up. That way I don't get any angry emails. Um, usually we don't do shows that are this fresh, but the, with remakes, it's kind of hard not to. Yeah, it's Well, those of us who remember enough to spoil anything. Yes. <laughs> and then there's Javon and I who've recently played them. <laughs> yes, sir. See, so yeah, you're right. I was referring to you. That's what I meant. Yeah. See, I've recently played them too, but recent as in last year. As a matter of fact, last year is like has kind of been like a dog year, so it kind of feels like seven years. So you know, you you, how much you remember, you know, we'll see. Yeah, (laughs) is that right, Kelly? I also, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I also feel like I sort of willed these into the uh, trilogy re-release into existence, given that I had just bought the game, the games on 360, and finished them when the that got announced. But that's the way it always happens. Oh yeah. always happens like that so um we are gonna have a quick break so that we can kind of get our notes together and then we'll start the recap so stick around
welcome back to RPG Backtrack, where we're going to be talking about Mass Effect Trilogy. Um, getting into the story first, kind of breaking it down, because, man, this game has a story. I mean, we're, we're talking a story spanning three games here, so th- there's a lot going on. Long pause, or is there? Or is there? <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, there there definitely is, because my, my memories of the trilogy, as limited as they are, um, really don't include very much from things like combat or, or you know the ancillary stuff like what I remember is just the story like to me Mass Effect is the story. See, I, I don't remember the overarching story I remember kind of the story beats from each people's quest because that's what I was more focused on and, and that's um, part of what yeah, makes ahead. Mass Effect unique is the way everything ties together across all three games you know you have you build the those relationships with those characters and the decisions you make at least feel like they have some impact even, you know, two games later. Right. uh... I think I kind of agree with that um, as far as, like, the character stories become the focus, but um, to me that doesn't really... uh, that doesn't really start till you get to, like, game two. Like, I I think the first game is, is, like, in my memory anyway, probably more where the overarching, like, main story, the plot, the main plot um, takes center stage. And then the, the character stuff, to me, doesn't really um, come to the forefront till, till the second and third entry. Yeah, I kind yeah. of felt that way, too. Yeah, I was going to say, like, um, if I were to break down the way the story, the story structure works in the trilogy, I would say Mass Effect 1 was definitely, you know, your typical, we need to establish... Um, it was a lot of the story building. So, you know, you, you had a lot of the introductions to the different races, the introduction to Shepard. Um, but also, most importantly, you had a lot of the established, uh, I guess you could say infighting, the, the, the stuff that was really going to be like the major um, struggles uh, moving forward in the second and third entries. Uh, which actually, I would argue, would define the the problem the the problems that Shepard had to face in the second, especially in the third one. Yeah, especially the third game, because um, that was the whole basis was trying to resolve the issues um, between the uh, like the Corians and the Geth, as well as. Krogan in general with both the Solari the Solarians and the uh Torians. Well should we just start from from like the first game and and just kind of go from there and Yeah, go ahead. That's fine. If you guys want what I can do is I can pretty much um I'll uh I can go over the notes that I have um basically for Mass Effect One and then everybody else can pretty much say like, oh well maybe this was wrong or you should uh, i remember this or elaborate on stuff and then okay i mean that's that's usually what we do is you just kind of start talking about the story and then people chime in yeah i remember that and that kind of thing yeah we really great you take point (laughs) okay well i'll just go ahead and um start with uh mass effect one so uh as the story begins it technically begins in like the year 2183 and as humans, we're basically like the new kids on the block when it comes to like learning about other alien races and about the mass relays, which are basically these huge structures that allow you to um, transport to different star systems in a matter of seconds. And, um, and, and thanks to this uh, tra- time, this fast travel, 
we joined the other alien races at what's called the Citadel, which is basically the um, the space station where all the other races try to um, make nice with one another. But still, of course, there's a lot of drama and infighting. And so as humanity being like the new kid, um, we still have a lot to prove um, among the other races. And this is pretty much where like Shepard's story comes in. And Shepard, I would call Shepard the customizable hero because you can choose basically if you want to play male Shepard, female Shepard, and you know you get to change your skin tone. And um, you also um, get the chance to... Um, you choose uh, your background as well. It's very, I would say it's very RPG heavy. So basically at the beginning, it'll ask you to choose among a couple of, um, I guess you could say uh, starting points where you're either like a space, more like a space kid whose parents grew up in the Alliance or you're more like a um, someone who came, um, a, lone, a lone survivor of a very traumatic experience and stuff like that. Um, and so after all of this, um, your, your shepherd, uh, goes into, um, sorry, shepherd goes on a routine mission to Eden prime, which is considered like the big representation of humanity's advancement in space. Um, there's like a lot of hype talk about like, oh, I hear it's beautiful. And of course, as pretty much anything happens in a game very beginning, when you hear something is beautiful, something goes completely wrong. Um, and so uh, Shepard goes to investigate this beacon left by the Protheans, which are an ancient race of aliens, which during this time in the story, um, a lot of people assume are the ones who created the mass relays in Citadel. Now, the beacon also gained the attention of the Geth, which are basically these flashlight-headed jerkwads, this <laughs> the group of sentient beings who hadn't been seen in years. And they're hell-bent on um, helping the Reapers come back. And the Reapers are this mysterious um, machine race who basically wants all the advanced races to die. <laughs> Very broad overstatement, but pretty much what it is. And um, just as like a couple of things that I would mention about Mass Effect 1, just like as a game, it is definitely the most exploratory heavy of the trilogy. Um, Shepard and the crew get to explore different planets and you get to drive the quirky Mako um, that a lot of people hate, some people love. And um, the romance options are there, but they're more limited in the first one versus the second and third one. And you really have only technically three options, but you have two options for male ship who are Ashley and Liara. And then for female shepherd, you have Caden and Liara. And I would argue that it's also the most traditional w, uh, Western RPG in the trilogy as well. Um, you had more stat-based gameplay, especially in the original version of the game, where um, shooting with, um, what do you call them, sniper rifles, was um it, it was very realistic in the sense that it shook and your stats really um played a huge role um it also had the clunkiest combat of all three games but one of the things that was really great about the legendary editions that i think they did a really good job of updating it um they also took out a lot of those clunky things. Like for instance, you don't get a lot of that weird shaking and stuff as you use sniper rifles. Pretty much all the classes can play all the guns. So it feels far more streamlined. Oh, that that's nice. Cause <clears throat> that was the one thing that I found frustrating. I, I you know, this sniper knife rifle shakiness in the original. 
Yeah, the only time the sniper rifle shook in the uh, sequel games was after you fired it. Ah, gotcha. Um, something else that also surprised me about that first game, because, you know, this was kind of my introduction to Western RPGs, was that I was surprised that Shepard, like, had a voice and a personality, even though it was your player character, because I'm so used to M- MMOs where, you know, you have your player character, but everybody talks as if your player character is talking, but it's really just silent. They, they all go for that self-insert. Yeah, yeah. So hearing Femshep kind of have a personality and, you know, be kind of snarky or um, soft, depending on how you played her Paragon versus Renegade, that was really cool. And I think kind of changed how we look at Western RPGs. I would agree. Um, so the, the voice actors are Jennifer Hale for female Shep and Mark Meir for um, male Shep. And one of the things that was so cool about leading up to the announcement of the Legendary Edition and um, since then was how invested both of the actors are in um in the announcement and stuff um there are quite a few videos of jennifer hale who after experiencing the new trailer and stuff like that was extremely emotional um and it it just i know for me like as a huge fan of bioware and mass effect it was so heart um i say so uh, so warm, heartwarming to see that that like you see for um from 2007 all the way to now that um, not only does the community really love the um, voice actors, but the voice actors themselves really consider these characters to be staples in a huge. I believe both of them have like a huge roster, uh, a huge roster of credits in um in uh in voice acting. So um just just um. I know. I know Jennifer Hale um, has done many, many things. Um, one of the most re- recent notable ones being Ash from Overwatch. Oh. Um, I believe she is awesome. Um, I'm, you know, I don't. I don't like getting information wrong. So let me actually pull this up. I mean, I'm a huge voice actor nerd, so I I love it when voice actors just kind of have love their the characters that they voice and it, it kind of it must feel like that character becomes a part of you after you voice somebody especially a character like Shepard across three games yeah and I, I think that was yeah. part of it too is it, I mean she had played you know this character for multiple you know it's long hours of recording multiple ga- you know multiple games so yeah so then let's so so I'm not like by any means um, like a I don't have like an encyclopedic knowledge of like voice actor roles, but um, this was one of the first ones that I remember being very uh, cognizant of, where it wasn't just so. Um, y- well, you know, you've got Shepard, and he's a guy, and that's Shepard. And if you know, if you want to, you can make him a lady. But um, basically, Shepard is is you know the male version. Like this is one of the first times I remember where the the female version was. Um, you know, just as as valid as 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 the male counterpart, and maybe even I think as the as the trilogy went on, maybe even more so. Yeah, like I, like femship is a term, you know, like people know what that is. Yeah, no, that was actually one of the things um, that came about because because of this. Um, in the beginning, it was actually male sh- uh, was you know the de facto for like everything, but as the games went on, mo- they found out more and more people were playing it. 
as FemShep, and and it, so they and that's how come even the at least the PlayStation Three case had a reversible cover where you you know one side was male Shep and then the reverse side was female Shep, so you could have it either or. Yeah. So Kelly, you've you've said like that this was kind of uh, the game that where um, you were you were starved for starved for uh, sci-fi content, and that's that's when you got into Mass Effect, right? Mm-hmm. So I can only imagine like Mass Effect is such a so starting with Mass Effect one, right? The universe is so uh, dense, like li- literally the universe. But it just drops you just right in the middle of it. There's all uh, there's all these uh, the races and all this um, interplay between them that you slowly uncover as you go through. Well, the the trilogy as a whole, but you know, especially game one and uh, the first game is also very heavy on uh, like lore entries that you kind of uh, you. It, it's almost like a study session that you have to participate in as yeah. as you go through the. Well, you know, since we're just kind of focused on on the first game um, at the moment, and yet. At the same time, I think it's also the the most approachable story because of the trilogy, because it has like one clear villain that you're after. It, you know, it, it kind of boils down to you're the good guy and you're following after the the one the the bad guy. So yeah, but meaning um the uh the the rogue specter Saren. Um, <clears throat> sorry, sorry, just getting ahead of you. You're talking about you know all the races and stuff i feel like the first game does a good job of slowly introducing you to the races and that you start out at when you start out at the citadel you're kind of going through and there there's a library bot that you can go read up on that kind of introduces you to some of them and you know you can pick up some code codex to read some of that stuff and I, i'm the type of person that when i get into a universe like mass effect i get in hardcore where i just i'm pulling up wikipedia articles on my phone because i want to read about the krogans or the uh whatever the jellyfish race is that i'm blanking on now the hanar yeah the, the ones that are so polite that they have to learn to deal with rudeness yeah <laughs> You know, I, I love stuff like that. And I felt like the, the first game did such a good job. Of this one is not in- worthy of being touched by the Enkindler. Yeah, you know, just bringing you into that world, give, giving you enough lore that you want to learn more. And yeah, having just one bad guy to concentrate on that you're chasing through the galaxy. I mean, are, are any of you Star Trek fans? Oh, big time. Mm, no. Huge, 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 huge. Just listen to my Star Trek podcast today. Uh, very vaguely. Because, um, you know, usually about once every couple of years or so, my husband and I will watch Deep Space Nine again because that's the best Star Trek series. Don't at me. <laughs> and I was definitely getting Deep Space Nine vibes from that because, you know, Deep Space Nine is about just a space station and life on a space station. And just some of the races. Like, I like Deep Space Nine and also Babylon 5 for that. Yeah, Babylon Five is great. Yeah, so I don't know. Maybe bringing up Star Trek might sell you on the game map. Uh, it, it, it piques my interest. Yeah, though so I don't know who's the Ferengi of this universe. Oh man, that's, got, that's the best. Got to have your space <laughs> goblins, but um, but yeah, uh, I, I guess we can continue. Oh, I don't know if this ties more into two or not, but I do love that they've got some top tier voice talent for these games, like Keith David being the Colonel. And was Seth Green in the first one as Joker? Yes. Oh, he, yeah. he was in all three. 
Yeah, he was okay. he was Joker in all three. Okay. And then the second game, they got Martin Sheen as the elusive man, which I thought was just good voice casting. And he, and he did really good as the elusive man. He really pulled that part out well. Yeah, um, yeah. you can definitely tell they got the idea for him from X-Files and the Cigarette Smoking Man there. Just a bit. <laughs> like subtle so, guys. So you definitely, I mean, I'm, so I'm the one who said I'm not that big of a Star Trek uh, fan, but I, I guess I, I, I can see the connection because Mass Effect is pretty heavy on the, the politics, like among the, the races. And I guess, is that Star Trek? Oh, yeah, I don't that's know. That's a huge thing. Politics among races is a huge thing. Yeah. Um, especially in Deep Space Nine, because the kind of the crux of the story is that there's two um, races that have been warring for years and are trying to have peace, but then the bad race is trying to, you know, be bad again. Um, the crap, the Cardassians and the Bajorans. Bajorans. Thank you. Yeah. I was completely blanking on the name i kept wanting to call them the best thing no it's not it and, uh, and i mean yeah oh good it, it kind of becomes the the part of the story of the first game is like shepherd is trying to get tell everyone and get everyone to pay attention that the reapers are coming that they're this huge menace while all the alien races are kind of busy fighting with one another like they always have yeah. well kind of yeah, i not... would say it's more about proving Saren, who is like the main uh the main villain I would say Mass Effect 1 is more uh, focused on um, trying to prove that Saren, uh, Saren is, uh, well, actually they did prove that Saren was wrong, but trying to stop Saren and trying to figure out who the Reapers are. Um, well, yeah. You are right, they do want to prove that, but the way the story kind of goes is it's more, it's far more speculation in the beginning, and then it's, uh, unfortunately, it really takes until like, Mass Effect 3, where they're like, oh, well, we'll okay, get into that a little bit later. But yeah, I, I would yeah, say that's the approach of Mass Effect 3. <laughs> right, the first game is more about, because they don't, I mean, the term Reapers doesn't mean anything to, I don't think, anybody in the in the game world when the uh, when Mass Effect 1 starts, right? That's that's just something, as um, as Shepard is, so Shepard is a, um, you, uh, you don't a member of the, the term Reaper till very... Oh, excuse me. Very. Yeah, so he, so he's a member of the um, the, like a spec, the Spectre organization, right? Which is like the like like what like space special agents or I don't, elite military troops. I I don't know what what exactly Citadel, to call Citadel, it. Citadel Special Tactics and Reconnaissance Division, oh. also known as Spectre. So whatever that means. So space police. <laughs> so uh, and then and and he and it isn't until he's sent out on his on on the first mission of the game where he uh um gets wind of Saren, who also is, was a specter, but he's gone rogue, and, and Saren is up to something, and it's not it's not uh, until the, the process of kind of, like, well, uncovering actually, when, and following in his footsteps when start, that they get more information about. Yeah. When you actually start the game, you're under review to become a specter, but you're not a specter yet. So you're not even a specter yet. So, yeah. So the first game is, it, it, like, it's all just about setting up the, 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 the bigger threat while dealing with this, the other, you know, the, the clear villain of the game, but but then later on, of course, it turns out that he's just the precursor to what's what's to come. Yeah, because actually it's not till toward the end where you encounter Sovereign. Sovereign is actually the sentient ship that um, uh, Saren and the Geth are basically um, using to travel around. And 
it's funny because you do find out that the Reapers exist in that point, but Sovereign's basically like, look, you're unintelligent. I'm not going to sit here and try to explain, you know, my reason for all these things. You just, you know, you basically need to, you know, GTFO and let me continue this stuff. And of course, Shepard's like, you know, no, we're, we're not going to let you and, you know, we're, we're going to stop you. Um, but yeah, uh, it took a long time for people to actually believe that the Reapers, uh, not just that the Reapers exist, but that the Reapers were actually coming to destroy the universe, so to speak. I'm, even though even then, ethically... I'm sitting here going through Jennifer Hale's uh, credits right now. <laughs> so then you get Mass Effect 2, which, which starts out with the Normandy basically being just ripped apart. And then um, Shepard being reborn, and that's kind of how they masked how you could recreate Shepard for the PS2 version, because at this point, Aware wanted to branch out to both consoles, and plus the PS3 was actually a viable console by this point. And at that point is when you're, um, it was the company Cerberus that revived you, and they're kind of a weapons dealer company um they're in the first game they were actually referenced um several of the side missions actually involved their stuff they were considered a black ops um um, uh, an alliance government black ops group that had gone rogue in many of the side missions of the first game okay yeah they're basically like a they're like a human extremist group or a pro-human group i see oh yeah Right, because humans aren't, um, or at least they weren't at the beginning of the first game, uh, really a part of the like the ruling uh, council of this uh, of of all the species. Right, they were just kind of on the rise, like they were one of the least. I'm guessing one of the least developed species, probably amongst all the other ones. Well, they were like the new kids on the block, basically. Mm-hmm. So, like you know, yeah, they, the new kid. A lot of people were like, "We don't really trust you. Um, you're being given too much power." Um, or why are they giving you so much power? So there was like a lot of that, like, yeah, anti-human prejudice. Yeah, they've only been on the intergalactic scene for like, I want to say like 20 years, 25 years at the start of Mass Effect. Yeah, about 30 years. Yeah, you're right. You're right. About 30 years. I think 30 years is when, is what they, is at the end of the third, or at the beginning of the third game. Uh... Let me see. 21. I'm trying to remember my timeline. I can't. I, I know that the game technically starts around 2183. Um, but uh, suffice to say, they're still there. Yeah, we're basically like the babies. <laughs> so it's at, it's at that point that the elusive man is like, hey, we saved your life. You kind of work for us now. And you're depending on who you dated in the previous game. They don't like that very much. Yeah, but they don't really, uh, they don't save his life. Like, I think he actually dies, and they find a way to bring him back to life. A couple of years, a couple of years, I think, go by. Two years. Yeah. Basically, like, at the beginning, what happens is, uh, I, I like to call Mass Effect 2, like, basically the anti-hero arc of the story. Because it's, I feel like the first game was very much establishing a lot of the the, the norms for the story. Like, you know, this is, is Shepard's a hero. This is what um, he or she is fighting for and stuff like that. But then you literally have the beginning, the SSV Normandy gets completely torn apart. More than half the crew gets destroyed. Shepard themselves uh, dies from a, a asphyxiation. 
and yeah, um, blasted out to space. Yeah, yeah, they, they basically get space, and it's Cerberus, um, led by the elusive man, who basically saves um, Shepard. And then um, when after Shepard wakes up, and you know, there's a bit of a tuscle, like a little bit of infighting um, with Cerberus. They, just, uh, let me uh, interrupt there, Jervon. It was not actually Cerberus that rescued her. Um, it was actually. Um, it was actually, I don't know the group that specifically found her, but they were going to sell her to the collectors, and it was Liara who betrayed the, sh it was the Shadow Broker who found Shepard's body. They were going to sell, the Shadow Broker was going to sell Shepard to the collectors, but Liara, who was sort of working for the Shadow Broker, one of his other agents, who was a double agent between Cerberus and the Shadow Broker, just stole Shepard's body back and gave it over to Cerberus from the Shadow. Do you find this out in the DLC? Yes. Because I didn't play the DLC. Oh, yes. and you are right. This was actually put in both uh, comic book form. And, well, the comic book is actually what talks about the, the like, Liara has a whole trajectory in um, uh, the Star Horse comic book series. I totally forgot about that. I'm glad you mention that robert because yeah you're, you're right it wasn't just like it just went to cerberus or it is so it's it's so obviously they're starting off the second game by really you know taking the the hero and breaking him back down to to nothing right but I, is he really like I, I forget i'm not even sure how much of a hero is he because the first game doesn't end at all with anything like you save the galaxy because remember the threat to the galaxy doesn't really surface at all in in the first game it's it's just kind of hinted at well, and they find out what's you, you, know, you don't you you still save the galaxy because but it's more of a delaying tactic because sovereign actually almost wins so in the so the first game is really just about shepherd manages to take out one or two like of the precursor agents of the the reapers that are behind it all yes yeah yeah and 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 not shepherd themselves but a lot of like the council and a lot of the citadel believes Oh, that was it. The end of it was Saren, Sovereign, and the Geth, and that's done. But yeah, but Shepard, yeah. of course, people around Shepard are like, no, there's a bigger threat. There's something bigger. So yeah. And after all this happens is when you find out that the that entire space colonies are disappearing, and it's because of these people called called collectors, and you're trying to track down where the collectors are taking this people these people so yeah, that so, um, you can save them so shepherd is is reanimated after dying a couple of years later and you start off the second game um so he he uh which by the way i think it's pretty cool that uh that robert is calling shepherd she have you noticed that yeah they i will admit i always played from shop yeah, no, that's why, right? Of course, that makes sense. I think that's pretty neat. But so Shepard is actually an agent of Cerberus as the second game starts. Yes. Technically. Um, Shepard, basically, uh, it, it's funny because I, I, I feel like where Mass Effect 2 kind of faulted was you don't 
I mean, you do get to know, I mean, Shepard is still there, but one of the thing, the big difference I noticed in Mass Effect 2 versus 3 is, like, there's not as much, like, internal, like, dialogue or, like, understanding with Shepard themselves. You just kind of notice that Shepard just kind of jumps in and is like, okay, cool, we're going to take on Cerberus, I'm going to do this because I know I have to save the world. And it's only, like, more of the very slight, um, quieter moments that you kind of... Um, understand that Shepard basically knew that Cerberus being, you know, this pro-human group and, you know, having to fight with them and basically being, uh, technically being a part of the Alliance before and then going with Cerberus is totally the opposite. It actually makes them look bad, um, you know, going with the, not the Collectors, uh, going with Cerberus, um, that, uh, that basically their goals align, but Shepard was trying to sort of um i guess you could say go with cerberus but also understood that there was possibly a point where uh they were going to get backstabbed by them in the uh you know in, in the future so to speak which he does yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> yeah so and um so he knows better than to trust the uh, uh trust cerberus and the elusive man who's like the main guy of the the head of Cerberus. Talk about, like, shady character. Yeah, very shady. Yeah. He basically poured all this money. I forgot. They, I don't think they mentioned how much money, but it was definitely a lot of money bringing Shepard back. Yeah, and they, they, they mentioned thing. that it was... Uh, they they do give you the... I think they give you the price at one point, like, part of the price, at least just for the Normandy. Because they also... Built a second Normandy. Yeah, built a second Normandy, brought back Joker. And one of the things that was interesting, and this is kind of jumping to the next entry, but it's still related to this. You find out that, like, in doing a lot of this, like, you know, bringing Joker back and doing this, there was a lot of the psychology going behind it, where the elusive man was trying, was trying to get sympathetic characters and and a lot of nostalgic things for Shepard to try and manipulate them to do the bidding that um, Cerberus was ultimately trying to go for. So then where do we get into the part about the Omega Relay and you're essentially getting a crew to uh, go through the Omega Relay to get all the um, kidnapped people back? Yeah, going through the Omega-4 Relay, the suicide mission. Um, I'm trying to remember if there's like 12 members of the crew or That's, more. Um, Garrus, Jack, Grunt, Tali. Tali and Thane. Thane. Jacob. Miranda. Jacob. Miranda. And I know there was a couple of DLC. Morden. Um, Kasumi. Oh, Morden. Oh, Kasumi. And, and oh gosh, the, the Grunt. Not the Grunt. Not Grunt, but he was like a gruff merc. merc. Yeah. Oh. Mo- I, uh, oh, I can't. I, I know who he is. I can't think of him, but that guy. <laughs> um, oh, Zaid, 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 yeah. <laughs> Zaid Masari. I, I kept. I kept on trying to say Masari. My brain kept going to Mussolini. I'm like, that's not right. <laughs> so well, there's always a game DLC with characters. that guy. Uh, yeah. And then um, oh, and Samara, Samara and, as well. The oh, Justin. So yeah, tw- like twelve characters. So what's twelve? Okay. <laughs> 
So Mass Effect 2 to me like lives and dies by its cast of characters. I think it's that this is why I personally think it's it's the best game in the series. I I like the characters in it more than well despite the fact that many of them like carry over and have connections to other games, but um I, even I don't remember some of the names you're mentioning here. Yeah, my go-to characters were usually Garrus and um Grunt. The, was the Krogan Grunt? Yes, Grunt is yeah. the Krogan. Yeah, just because I like them the best. Yeah. Um, no, I, I usually go with Garrus and Tali myself. Have, have we already talked about the collectors? Or? We've mentioned them. We've mentioned um, them. It's a group of... Uh, P- oh, they're, so, at the beginning of Mass Effect 2, the collectors are just known as this group who sort of go out and you like buy like slaves and stuff to do like genetic experiments and um stuff like that but in the grand scheme of things as you play through you find out that oh they're agents of the reapers and oh they're heavily heavily modified protheans and they are basically all that's left of the protean race yeah, so it's um it's because uh, in in some mission or another, Shepard starts stumbling on uh, there's entire um colonies on planets that are just like disappearing, like every person is disappearing from these colonies, right? And these is that kind of yeah. like the the basic um mystery that he sets out to yeah. solve. Like in the first game, uh, the mystery was um you're you're finding uh bodies uh like impaled on spikes and they come back to life, and this ends up like tying into what's happening in the first game. And in this game, it's uh, there's disappearances of entire colonies of, uh, of, of settlers or, or, or researchers or whatever they are. Yeah, human colonies are basically being uh, harvested um, by the collectors, which is the main reason why the elusive man sort of came in and saying, you know, this is, even though it's a major problem, this is a hu- human problem. And, you know, that's why the, you know, that's why we're, we're on this, uh, you know, that's why Cerberus, in a sense, is on it. Um, and the elusive man is actually the one who tells Shepard saying, look, there's these collectors. Um, they come from the Omega-4 relay. We need to somehow find a way to get there and figure out who they are. And his speculations in the beginning, which are true, um, are that the collectors are basically working for um, the Reapers. And he, he pretty much tasks you with putting together a crew to go. By the way, Kel, you're coming very soft right now. Uh, sorry, my mic got moved. Um, he basically tasks you with putting putting together a crew to go on the suicide mission to get all these people that are getting abducted back. And your success with the suicide de- mission depends a lot on how much of the loyalty missions you do. Yeah, and the funny thing about the 12 dossiers, as he put it, that the, the, the dossiers meaning the, the different people, um, he actually um, uh, picked the people not just because, you know, they were like badasses in their own way and you know would would um you know help shepherd on this suicide mission um but he picked people that were actually going to be sympathetic or or that that shepherd would actually be sympathetic towards um especially you know why that's why you had you know people like uh you had um the return of um garris tolly yeah, and tolly yeah um you also have the ship medic dr chalk was back from the first game that's true, yeah, and of course, Joker. <laughs> yeah, Joker, the, the 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 best 
the best uh, pilot in all of uh, the Alliance. And your your wife from the first game gets mad at you for working for Cerberus, and you know you you end up putting his picture alive. down. Yeah, if they're alive, and you put it put his picture down later when you start dating other people, which I thought was yeah. a nice touch. I have to say, as a Caden romancer, I hate Mass Effect Two. <laughs> I don't hate it. But it's just, it's so, like, frustrating. Like, why don't you believe me? Like, I get it for story reasons. It makes sense. But, my God, I don't like you right now. (laughs) Oh, Caden can suck it. It's not like I had a choice to work for Cerberus. Especially, it it makes sense, especially if you play Mass Effect 1, where you keep running into all these various black ops, you know, issues where they were doing really creepy stuff to humans. Yeah. So I don't know how you guys' suicide mission played out. Mine, I everybody lived, but I also read a guide because I'm a wuss. Um, I um, I think uh, I um, I managed to get it the first try with no one dying without a guide. Yeah, same here. Um, and it, but it isn't just the um, the loyalty missions themselves that come into play, but also I guess you have to up uh, like there's uh, ways you upgrade the Normandy, which I guess has some sort of uh, effect on on what happens during the last mission, and then of course like the choices you make during the mission them- itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you do have to upgrade. I-, I know there are multiple upgrades, but I know the most important one is upgrading the shielding. If you don't upgrade the shielding as you're trying to get into the Mega Four Relay, I believe um, the hull. Or, or part of basically part of the ship will get shot, and um, depending on the algorithm of the characters, locations, and stuff like that, um, one or two of them could end up dying, like before you even get into the Omega Four relay. Yeah, the shielding, the armor, and then the uh, cannons, I think, are the biggest three you're supposed to do. And yeah. that that ties into the probing mini game. Yes. So to upgrade this, and there's actually a lot of upgrades, not just with the uh, Normandy itself, but with your squad mates for weapons, powers, armor, health regen. But to do all that, you need resources, and that is where you go uh, probing your anus. Yeah, I got really sucked into the probing, and I will. I did not know there was an achievement for probing Uranus, and I'm sad I never got that achievement. And the achievement is not in the Legendary Edition. Yeah, I, I went there and was sad that it wasn't there. <laughs> oh, that that's wrong. I don't think I don't think it's in the P, the PlayStation Three version either. Because after you guys told me that, I went and found the YouTube video, a YouTube video of it, and the computer going really fine probing Uranus because that, um, that joke's I, never I, not funny. I played on Xbox, and I never got that. I, I don't know where you guys' minds were at when you played. This is not what I play Mass Effect for. You were the one that told me about it. No, no, it wasn't me. Uh, I, I think you're a liar, Pascal. Okay. But but anyway, so, but, so I, I my favorite thing, I will say one of my favorite things about Mass Effect 2 was that final boss battle with essentially the Terminator. Yeah. Yeah, and and you're finding out that you know the collectors are basically processing all these humans to turn them because apparently each Reaper is supposed to be like the culmination of the civilization of that era or of the of that cycle. So basically, what they're trying to do is since you took out a Reaper, they're making 
a human reaper. Well, well, yeah, and that's the point where you kind of learn what the the reapers are doing. Like they're basically like growing civilizations, and then every thousand years or whatever they come in, and then they uh, wipe fifty thousand. Everyone, whatever it was, yeah, yeah, fifty thousand years they come in and they kind of cut the cut the civilizations down, use the use the DNA to create new reapers, and then you know start the cycle over again. Yeah, I, I remember very well, not very little. I don't remember the final boss of of Mass Effect Two. To me, um, what I remember most again is is the character based stuff, the suicide mission, um, and then everything that comes after that. I I kind of um, yeah, I I don't recall. So I'll take your word for it. Yeah, I mean the last boss fight doesn't really feel like a last boss fight yeah there was actually a criticism towards the final boss a lot of people of course mentioning that it looked like this huge terminator <laughs> like it, I it, loved it. it was like it went from like mass effect to people saying oh this feels kind of like transformers or something <laughs> like you know it uh yeah um I, I loved it, but I'm not going to lie, just because I suck so bad at the combat in Mass Effect 2, part of me kind of liked that it was a bit easy, but in retrospect... <clears throat> I, Honestly, the easiest way to take it out, I found, because the uh, its only weak spots is the eyes, is one of the super weapons, and I don't know, or one of the heavy weapons, and I don't know if it's like a DLC one or if it was one of the ones in the base game is a laser and you just focus fire the eye with the laser and you will destroy it so fast. Well, I remember um, that when I the because I've only played these games once, um, so I've not replayed them to to try other options or choices. So um, when I played the uh, the suicide mission, um, my son was. Um, I, I, and I got to think again, uh, probably like, like maybe like 10 or so at the time. Um, so we were, we were basically playing it together. So there was the two of us, uh, like sitting on the couch, just like sweating bullets, uh, when we had to pick which character goes back to the ship, uh, to, at, at a certain point during the mission, which character goes off by themselves to accomplish, you know, whatever goal, like hack into hack into this system or I forget what all they have to do, but uh, at it, knowing that at any point um, the characters could, and you know, possibly more than one could possibly die. And so that was, I, I like I said, I don't remember the final uh, boss because just that whole setup previous to that was kind of like a harrowing experience, if you will. That's, which is, you know, again, this, which is why to me, the second game is the best one of the three. Yeah. But then, um, as, and oh, sorry. That, that suicide mission, the suicide mission itself, is way is like the better culmination of Mass Effect Two than the actual last boss fight because there's a lot of just like em emotionality tied into that at that point. And that then, didn't go through the Omega Four relay right away because then you would lose your entire crew. Yeah, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but there is you kind of have to go out of your way to do it. But there is a way to have everybody die, including Shepard, and uh, where basically the only person who survives is um, Joker. Um, and I forgot exactly how that's um, what happens if you transfer it, but they did kind of allow that option. Of course, it's not much of an option. I think you actually might have not been able to transfer it over because Shepard's technically dead. Yeah. What uh, I saw was that if if the if everybody on the squad dies, Shepard dies automatically in in like the aftermath. Oh, okay. Yeah, because because the squad pulls Shepard into the ship. Oh, it's it, what is it? Is it that 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 thing where the ship's kind of like already taking off more or less? Everybody's on board, and he's like running to the edge of the cliff trying to jump onto it. Oh. Yeah. 
yeah, and Joker, of course, having brittle bone disease, can't, you know, just pull Well, he's piloting the ship. Oh, gosh. Yeah. So then, as as you go from Mass Effect 2 into 3, like, that, that to me, that carries over. That's, which is where um, a lot of the the character storylines get uh, get wrapped up or or come to a head and um, you have to make a lot of like um, kind of in some cases like gut-wrenching decisions and watch watch the, uh, the outcome or or suffer the consequences of your of your choices like to me that's like Mass Effect 3 is all about suffering <laughs> in in the best in the best possible way and unfortunately three was where i kind of bailed mainly because i was getting a little burnt out and mainly because i was kind of frustrated at how linear it started and i don't know if it ever opens up or not gosh i don't even um (laughs) i'm gonna have to leave that to somebody else but i sort of does in um that you do get multiple options of where to go but it still followed the same concept that mass effect 2 did where the actual missions you have, you only have like a couple, or you know, you'd have full maps instead of like in the first game where you had tons of different things you could do, but they basically just recycled the same maps and just moved containers around. Hmm. So, so Mass Effect Three, like as opposed to the first two. In the first two, it's always about like you have like a, a more smaller scale threat you're dealing with, but in in Mass Effect Three. The thing that you've just been like hearing about and kind of it's been on like the periphery of what's been happening, the Reapers, right? Uh, like they're here in, in Mass Effect 3. They're, it's not just a thing of like, OK, we have to stop them from coming. It's more it's they're already here. And I remember some of the um, uh, the promotional like material before the game came out, I guess, like the, the trailers or whatever showed like Reapers. Um, or what I assumed were Reapers anyway, coming like out of the sky, descending on like London, like like Big Ben and stuff. I remember yeah. very vividly like there was. That's, I don't. I don't. I think this happens opening pre-game. That's like the very first mission, and like they're on Earth. Like it's like not you're not stopping the shit from hitting the fan, but like you're knee deep in it already, and that's like that's frightening. Like you spend two games trying to prevent this. Um, like this extinction level event from happening and no matter what you do like no matter how successful you've been at everything here it is and it happened yeah. and now you have to you have to like get into it and so like that's frightening yeah that's, so the that what you're describing that is like the very first mission is you're watching as the reapers are coming down on earth um because you're you've been jailed on earth for basically six months because you destroy a Mass Effect relay that wiped out a Batarian colony of 300,000 people. That was yeah, because at the very beginning, basically what they're like, basically like the, um, yeah, pretty much at the beginning, like you're basically reinstated and you're among the council and, and, they're, and they're like, oh, well, he knows what to do. Now, was like, well, how do we fight the Reapers? It was the Alliance High Command. Yeah, the Alliance High Command. And they're like, well, how do we deal with the Reapers? And Shepard's like, I already told you the Reapers were coming a long time. The Reapers are here. All we can do is literally survive. And then around that time, as he's with the council, that's when everything just, uh, I mean, literally a lot of people get blasted. And it, and it becomes this like, um, I have to say, I really love the way they started it. It was <laughs> horrible. And I mean that like in a positive way. 
Um, you just see one of the Reapers blast through where you're having this this uh, gathering, and then all of a sudden, you know, it's Shepard and it's Anders uh, Anderson. or Anderson, not Anders. Ooh, that's Dragon Age. <laughs> Anderson. <laughs> yeah, that's Dragon Age too. Um, and uh, um, I'm trying to think. Well, in my case, Caden and um, oh, what is his name? Oh, James. 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 Yeah. And you're basically, he's basically, is uh, Anderson is telling them, you guys need to get on the Normandy and you need to talk with the other um, races. You guys have to get them to cooperate or we're all doomed. So it's basically like the same thing again, right? You have to go everywhere. You have to gather up the troops, which you've done two games in a row, except now you're doing it after everything has already gone to hell. Yeah, now people are believing because now, <laughs> now. <laughs> planets are being destroyed and, and it's become desperate. <laughs> so, yeah. That is, that's, I mean, that is a really good, I don't know, that's a good uh, culmination for the series. Rather, you know, like really talk about raising the stakes. So um, and a lot of people complained about like the ending, but I mean, I like yeah. When I was saying earlier, like the third game is all about suffering. It's because of that. It's uh, you're you're kind of like on edge as even like from the very first moment. Yeah. So yeah. tell me about the ending because from what I heard back in the day, like people were not happy with the ending. It, it, it started in one of the you know one of those early internet shitstorms yeah <laughs> people were so upset about the ending you know they eventually kind of came back and tweaked it and later it on but was oh. it the crux that people didn't like that it felt like your choices didn't matter well, well you so it was i that was it and i think what it was is you didn't see the culmination of how your choices throughout the series mattered how it affected everything so the original ending was Ooh, color explosion, depending on your color of choice, red, blue, or green. And the Normandy flying off, trying to escape this thing, failing, crash landing on some planet somewhere that's sort of jungly looking. Then, like, a couple of the people climb out. You see them sort of staring off in, at the horizon of this planet. And boom, credits. That was it. That was the yeah. entire Edie and, I think in my ending, Edie and Jake, or Jacob, Edie and Joker... <laughs> kind of walk out like some Adam and Eve reference. And I was like, so and then did like I some third person wanders out behind them. <laughs> like, are they the new beginning of like, you know, the, the, the rest of it? Yeah. I remember being, well, my experience with the first, first time I finished it was being, well, I was extremely emotionally drained. Um, and I think I even mentioned in the section as to, you know, I, I had a lot of personal stuff going on in my life too, but. Oh, we'll talk about was, that personal stuff later. And and it was it was quite like it was harrowing. So I, I was very much hopped up on like emotions and, and exhaustion and stuff. But I remember feeling kind of like, huh? <laughs> yeah. I mean that that and that's how come people now what they did when they went back and revisited the ending is first of all, you know why the Normandy is trying to outrun this thing now. You also know why the people who were down in the ground forces with you on Earth are now up on the Normandy, which is a, one of the other big, huh? Because usually the third person who walks out is one of the people you took with you on the very last mission. And you're trying to figure out, why are they on the Normandy when they were on the ground with me? How'd that happen? <laughs> um, so, yeah, so a lot of people got upset because you have, 
like kind of a, a binary or, you know, you have like three or four choices at the end and which one you choose determines the scene you get before the credits roll or, or, or as the credits roll or whatever. But um, but I also think that's kind of like the people that were really upset about that were looking like at it like very narrowly because it's not. Yeah. Yeah. That technically is the end of the game. But in a way, like Mass Effect 3 as a whole, the entire game is an ending to the entire story. And it's not as simple as just, um, you know, one one choice is, is really what what um, what makes the uh, the difference in, in, in how it all comes uh, to pass, because along the way, um uh other you know your characters have endings several characters several 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 canon characters uh die unrelated to gameplay not like the suicide mission from from mass effect 2 just like the the way their storyline goes um like the one that uh to me had the most impact was when uh thane uh the like the kind like like the lizard man assassin from mass effect 2 who was like a a party member in Mass Effect 2, he just um, he dies as part of his storyline in Mass Effect 3. Well, I'm not sure if if dying is like is 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 necessarily what he does, no matter what you do. Um, but he did for, he did die for me. If he lived through Mass Effect 2, he will die yeah. in Mass Effect 3. And then and uh, and and Legion, which is. Uh, I, again, I, I never know like the the terminology from the game for it, but he's a um, a geth, right? Like a yes. basically um, an AI in a, a, in like a limited a, AI created by the Quarians in like a yeah in a mechanical body. But uh, along, but his his whole storyline has always been about like attaining sentience, and at the end, like it's it you know it's it's like it borders on tragic. Like you 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 deal with him and you kind of connect with him and. Um, and you you root for him and cheer for him, and then you have to like make a decision that could and uh, result in you know whatever whatever passes for basically him dying. Well, but that's the thing; those were individual things. People want some closure in regards to the grander scheme of you know all the choices you made, like how they affected civilizations and stuff. And originally, the endings did not provide that. Now, when they went back and revisited, you did get these, like, very artistically and very well done, like, art scenes of how different civilizations have grown with whatever decision you chose. Um, but, and each one, of course, being a little different and narrated by a different person in your party. Uh, I know if, if you went destruction, it's whoever you dated. And I know that if you go synthesis, it is always Edie. So fair enough, but th there are some other things that the, during the the course of the game um, that resolve. Like for example, something that you you've been kind of uh, dealing with since uh, since the first Mass Effect, which is the uh, the the Krogan uh, genophage, which me which is a, a a genetic defect where the species is on the verge of dying out because. Uh, their females are like born infertile. I think it's what it is, right? And uh, so it's a little more complex, but yes. Okay. And in the course of of Mass Effect Three, that does come to a head. You have uh, your the, uh, the 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 plot provides you with uh, a possible way where you can either uh, stop the genophage, like and 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 fix the the genetic defect and basically give life back to the species or you can condemn them to extinction and sure you know those and i mean those are still choices right like i mean any choice comes down to are you going to do it or not but there's right, so but many pascal, the, 
the, the, the issue was you didn't see the culmination of how your choice for that culminated at the end of Mass Effect 3, originally. Well, I guess I mean, it's because Shepard dies. <laughs> He's I mean, to be... To be honest, I think that at the time that was the tall order to have. Um, I keep wanting to call them Bethesda, BioWare, <laughs> pull, pull that together, especially within the time frame, and especially with EA Crunch, which yeah. is why they managed to add a satisfying ending later. And that's from what I understood. That's what the issue was. But yeah, that was exactly the issue. Was people want to see those culminations? Like, hey, we made these choices in Mass Effect Three, that. You know, were things that carried through the entire game. How does how do they get resolved from us making these final choices? And that was the issue people had. Well, and that's a problem people have a lot of times. They, they, there are a lot of people that are unhappy when things aren't just wrapped up in a bow. Oh, yeah. in the ending, you know, like I mean, God, like I'm, the end of end of Sopranos that just ended, and in, people were like losing lost. their minds. Like, what? I don't get to see what happens to him. You're, you're still sore about it. that, huh? <laughs> Josh can't I, let that one go. No, no, like I thought like that was a great years. ending for Sopranos. Oh, okay. yeah. Even though just, they, know, even though they pretty much tell me right here. <laughs> yes, just a small town girl. You know, I, 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 since I'm singing, I'm wondering if it's time to get to the round table because we have talked about <laughs> an hour about the story, and I do want to make sure that we ended a reasonable time, and we could we could talk for days about the Mass Effect story. I don't know about you guys, but um, so we're going to take a quick musical interlude. Whether or not Matt does Journey or Mass Effect music, I don't know. I'm hoping for Journey. And we will come back with the roundtable where we get into our thoughts and feelings about the entire series. So stick around. We'll be back. Welcome back to RPG Backtrack. We uh, broke down the story, and now we're going to get into the roundtable. This is where we just got to go around the room, talk about how the game kind of affected us, our favorite waifus, whether we were Paragon or Renegade, you know, that that kind of stuff. How we how we personalized our Mass Effect experience. So, I mean, the first question, and anybody can go first, but I, I got to ask for a game like this, who was your waifu? The Donald? one with the blue skin. <laughs> yep. Oh, I, of, I, I guess two choices. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I guess... to... <laughs> one of two of three choices. 
was so gonna I, say you never went after Tally just to see if she. No. Well, you she couldn't. Like, you couldn't. Which game had Tally? Your had Tally. The third team. one. Okay. Third one. In all three games, but you couldn't romance her in one. Well, I'm I'm just talking overall. Yeah, I really don't. It was um, it was Liara, but then I think in the second one, well, I I don't think she was ever a playable character again. Maybe I I made um after the first one. In the second one, she was, I'm pretty sure, entirely absent. But then um, and, I I know I'm getting to it. Comes back in the deal. <laughs> right, <laughs> but then um, which is I know that's a another question coming up. But when she uh comes back in the in the DLC, I was like, oh here's. Here's my wife from, uh, you know, who's been lo- some busy in space somewhere. So um, I, I think I, I flirted around with Miranda maybe in the second one, and then I got real guilty when, um, when Liara shows back up. So I had to, um, I had to make nice with her. Yes, See, her. I, I got very annoyed when I played because it felt like all of the women in the game had nude scenes and none of the men did. Yeah, and pretty accurate. It- and in particular, I wanted to, I dated Garish because I wanted to see him like without his suit, and he they, they never took his, any of his clothes off, and I was very and I remember being on RPG Cast being very mad about this. Yeah, don't they just like touch foreheads? Yeah, <laughs> and it paints the black. <laughs> yeah, more or less. But it, I did laugh at a little bit of dialogue with that romance where he was like, "Um, I don't know how we would be compatible." And I'm sitting there in my chair thinking, do you have a dick? Then I'll make it work. <laughs> I love, I love, uh, so um, I will say Mass Effect 1, I usually romanced whoever I was going to kill on Vermeer. That way they didn't bother me again. Oh, wow. You're evil. Very cold hearted. Yeah. <laughs> I will admit, I I actually prefer Ashley as a character than Caden, um, only because Caden was Caden was bland. It, at least with Ashley, even though she did not like Xenos, using one of many terms for aliens, um, at least there was depth to her and why she didn't. Caden was just met. Okay, now I'm gonna have to come in for this one. <laughs> so first up, I'm gonna say. I love Caden. Caden is my space husbando, space bait, whatever you want to call it. Um, <laughs> and yes, I know uh, that's pretty much a lot of people call him the vanilla pudding of the group because he, he very much is, you know, he, when it comes to the trajectory of a story, there's not a lot of, I mean, he had hardships, but he wasn't a character who goes through trauma the way a lot of the other characters do. A lot of the other characters go through a lot of very intense stuff. But for him, it was always like, I would argue he was one of the more independent uh, uh, independent squad mates. And what I mean by that is whenever, whenever you talked with him, he, he did you know talk to you, but it was always on a more professional basis. Um, even when you were romancing him, like he he talked about how, you know, he wanted to be with you, stuff like that. But he was always like consistently like doing his own thing. And um, and and uh, and one of the quotes that he has uh, with his romances, they call it sanity check uh, in the third game. And um, and and I don't know. It, it's funny. I, I always wonder, like, why do I like this one? You know, because I admit, you know, and especially, you know, uh, years back um, when I didn't really think too deeply on his 
characterization. I was like, true, he is kind of boring compared to the other characters. You know, he doesn't play such a significant role. But ultimately, I ended up kind of liking that because it meant that unlike some of the other characters who really rely on Shepard, you know, like Shepard plays such an important role in their 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 stories, he was able to sort of progress and do his own thing. Now, I will say I was definitely irked with him in Mass Effect 2. Um, yeah. That whole scene on on uh, on Horizon always uh, gets under my skin, and I spend and and spending a quarter of the the or a quarter to half of the game of Mass Effect Three of him still not quite getting quote getting over the you know uh, the Cerberus thing was frustrating. But one of the things that I will say that was very eye opening was taking him uh, with me. Uh, on the when you go to the Cerberus um, headquarters, I forgot what they're called. It's like it's like when you hit the point of no return and you're you're getting to the ending uh, points. But there's a lot of there's a lot of heartfelt dialogue when he hears about the background and the story that your um, that Shepard went through. And he's like, "Wow, I really wish I would have been there. I really wish I would have listened to you." So. Okay, that's as much as I'll say about. <laughs> so I, was, I, was, I was about to say because I got very pissed with him when he kind of yelled at me for getting with strippers because it was like, dude, I kind of had no no say in the matter. And did it break your heart when Shepard put the photo down when you started dating somebody else in two? Yeah, so I will admit there were certain times when I totally went with Thane. <laughs> <laughs> I love Thane. Thane is a great character. Thane, Thane is a great character. I've been on Caden with Thane a couple of times. And that was another point of contention. And also, just as a side note to the differentiating story branches in Mass Effect 3, it made going to the hospital such a weird, dramatic thing. Because Caden's like in this room and he's like, by the way, I heard about the other dude who like, <laughs> stepped up in the other room down the way. Um, no, and, I, and I, I think it would have been, I think, with that dynamic, I've got to say, the funniest thing is like, yeah, he's joining my therapy classes. Ooh. <laughs> I, I appreciate that Thane's loyalty mission where you had to go keep his son from killing somebody was called Cats in the Cradle, if you guys are familiar um, with that song. Yeah. Oh, I love that song. Yeah. Um, I, I, Thane's oh, death is like Thane. Thane's death is the, probably the the one moment in the entire trilogy that, like, I think was you know tragic. Mm-hmm. More, Morden's, I think, was also tragic, but in a different. Yeah, yeah, but you're it, right. But but that was um, that was good closure. I think like yes. that was a great story moment. And so you're right. It was it was tragic, but. In a different way, Thane's just like I, I was like, oh, so you know, wasteful. Not 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 from a storytelling perspective, just from a, like a character perspective. Like I can't believe this character is gone. Like with Morden, it was like, that's how you got to go, you know. Yeah. Although I will say, if you do if you do manage to finagle the games to keep Morden alive, um, in the Citadel missions, he sends you a data pad with stuff and. You know, it's up there with his um, singing of uh, the one song from Pirates of Penzance, you know, (laughs) 
in funny things like one of the things he actually do- had done is he written novellas and apparently at one point he may or may not have gotten it on with uh Arya Tolok. I remember that. I remember that, that. That had me laughing because it's like seems I broke the first law of Omega in two different like in two different ways or something like that. And 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 that line it like it took me the two times I've done it where he lived to get it. And it was the second time where I actually like wait a minute he's implying that he screwed Arya Talok because <laughs> <laughs> you know the number one rule is you don't fuck with Arya. <laughs> That's the little quote. And, well, apparently I broke, you know, the number one rule in two different ways. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> That's funny. So, um, going going back to my relationships, um, for Emmy 2 and 3, I will say, generally, I go with Tally or Garrus. I love both of their characters. Um, you know, Garrus, because... He, he's he's sort of like Alistair from Dragon Age. He's sort of adorable, especially with his calibrations. But um, but I will say, Tally, especially if you're male Shep, has one of the best lines right after you visit Sanctuary, where she's she turns to, she's drunk on the ship using her emergency induction port. It's a straw, Tally, um, and she turns to you and she's like. My father would have hated you. <laughs> oh, you're talking about that scene where she talks about, um, she compares the way um, Miranda dealt with her father versus how her own story, uh, how she dealt with her father. Is that what you're referring yeah, to? Yeah, she's drunk. <laughs> she's like, what was it? Uh, wow, what did she say? Uh, Kali, she's such a bitch. <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> that that Cerberus cheerleader Borstadt. Oh yeah, Borstadt, yes. <laughs> I completely forgot about that until you brought it up. So I love Tally in regards to that. That was a scene that I absolutely loved. Um, you know, whether it be Femme Shep or Male Shep, um, it's more amusing as Male Shep because then she's like, yeah, my father would have hated my my human alliance boyfriend or something like that. Well, I think you, you can't romance Tally as a female shepherd. Yeah, you, you can't. She, she is straight. So, which, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with having some characters who are straight. Some who are not, some who swing both ways. It's it's I, I honestly prefer that than like, oh, everyone can date everyone. That's not realistic. That's not life. I, I feel like those were some like interesting conversations in like the game writers room when they were coming up with who might be possible characters to put in and well, which which side will we be able to romance them from? <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong, but there was no male gay shepherd, was there? There was, and as a matter of fact, I was going to bring up that point. So okay. when I when I oh, talk yeah, about Cortez. romancing Caden, I, I actually wrote um I, I talk about playing so I played Finn Shep a lot in the very beginning. Um during the the um when I would play the three games. And the main reason is because, at least for me, it was always I I I like the idea of just having um, male uh, male romances with my characters, but then what they did was after there was a huge petition that was created on 
social uh, Bioware, um, they actually made Caden a romance option, but only in the third one. So it's very awkward if you play a male chef who is basically like, nah, I'm gay, because you spend two games just kind of, you know, playing the proverbial hero with like no romance. And then, boom, Caden has interest in you, but you also have the other option of um, Steve too. Um, and Steve's actually a pretty good option too. He, he's a really um, well-written character, but that's like, it, it's it's very lonely playing gay chef. <laughs> well, yeah. gay male chef, I should say. <laughs> playing gay <Yeah>. male chef <laughs> through the, um, cause really you don't have a romance until like the last quarter of the game. And then it's like, it culminates and then boom. <laughs> yeah, it, it does bother me when games only allow um, girl-girl gay relationships. Because I, 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 to me, that's kind of feti- going into the whole fetishizing lesbianism, but not giving um, gay guys a chance to, you know, live out their power fantasy. And I don't like that. Yeah, and that's why, at least for me, Mass Effect 3 was such a pivotal game. There wasn't too many of those options back then. Uh, yeah, Dragon Age actually got a little bit closer. Like you had Zevron who was by, and then in the second one, well, they pretty much did uh, what Robert said. <laughs> they made everybody just buy, so they were like, "Here, have at it." And then with the third one, you you had more characters who who were who were either bi, who were gay, or straight, um, and stuff like that. <laughs> Because as a side tangent, Fire Emblem is guilty of that, too. Yeah, I I, I liked Fire Emblem, but definitely had that feeling. <laughs> that feels like the lazy approach, I think. Just making just everybody... Like say what? The, the lazy approach is making everyone buy? Yeah. <laughs> I, I call that the Stardew Valley approach. Yeah, yeah, because the issue is is that does not, you know, sure, these are escapes from real life, but at the same time, in real life, not everyone's going to appreciate, you know, be into everyone else. Yeah, no, you're right. Um, did, did we miss anybody's waifus? Josh? I think we got everyone. I, I I just had the bland ones. I had Liara in the first game, and then I went hey hey on all the later runs she, and did Garrus. She was not bland. <laughs> well, the, listen, I'll, I'll, I'll get to my into Liara sorry, later. Sorry, sorry, sorry. So sorry, sorry. so nobody picked Jack. No, uh, no here. N- nobody <laughs> wanted to stick their dick in crazy. <laughs> So funny enough, I actually had to redo my second Mass Effect game because here's the problem that I will say that I, it frustrates me uh, with the playing as male chef and not wanting to romance anybody. You have to be very careful with your dialogue options in the first and second one because you'll get what a lot of us call ninja manced, where basically you'll be nice to them. And then later on, like in my case, Liara was like, oh, I heard you had a thing for Jack. And I was like, no. I had nothing. And so I I was in furious. I was like, nope. So I had to go back and then I had to go through like a little matrix, go, okay, choose this, don't choose that, don't choose that, choose this, don't choose that. (laughs) But I will say I I do like Jack as a character, especially because she becomes a teacher. So that that really hit. (laughs) And and you actually do find out that her the she may go by Jack. Her actual name's Jacqueline. Oh, they, I saw it once on this latest playthrough, and I forget. I I think it was in the third game, where it it's like mentioned in a data pad somewhere that her name's actually you know, her, but she goes by Jack. Oh wow, 
I never knew that. If if it, I ever played you, oh, go ahead. No, it does bring up one other question. Like, what did everyone play or, or prefer? Was it Male Shep or Fin Shep? Because I think I went with Fim Shep. I did Fim Shep. Generally speaking, I play Fim Shep. <laughs> I went mostly Fim Shep, but I have to say my canon is Male Shep with Caden. That's pretty much like my, like, especially when I was going in and doing the review, I was like, okay, I have to go in this with like my quote unquote canon. But I also am like very, very deep into the the fandom. So it's like, I, I, I will even admit, um, I've wrote the fan fiction. I even made TikTok videos. They call them Imshenko, meaning male chef, Alenko. Uh, I made Imshenko TikTok videos. <laughs> so yeah, I pretty much just revealed myself to be a huge nerd. But- yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, you're in the you're in good company. I mean, I used to write fan fiction, so you know. Yeah. <laughs> I have, I've only That's played. With that. I've only played the trilogy once. Um, which like for, so for me that's canon, which is why I have when you guys are talking about Caden in Mass Effect Three, like I I can't relate because I put him to death as you know as soon as I could. Um, but I, I played, um, I played male Shep and I made him like the ugliest, most misshapen, <laughs> like troglodyte. You, I, he had like bulging eyes and a protruding forehead and a scar across his face. I mean, I really made him ugly. And, and so, but over the course of three games, that you just, you connect that look to that voice. And so when I see, um, screenshots of just you know anybody's Shep or even like the stand, like the Canon um, Bioware Shepherd. Like my first impulse is usually like, who's that? I don't I don't associate that with what my Shepherd looked like. To to me, he looks like Quasimodo basically. Uh, to be fair, I, I I think that the character models for your Shepherd in the first two games look awful. Um, mainly because I. I couldn't make me a cute male ship, so I went with a fem ship. And no matter what I did, my fem ship always wanted to look like she wanted to talk to your manager. So I Karen. called her space, yeah, space Karen. That's what I called her. You should definitely. Um, one of the things, I, and I think I actually put, yeah, I did mention this in my review. They did such a good job of overhauling the look because, yes, that's one of the things that was very frustrating. Well, at least for me, was I felt like my no matter what I did. My fem chef always looked like a potato in the first one. Um, uh, but they did such a good job of really revamping um, the looks. As a matter of fact, um, your um, the way you look in Mass Effect 1 will be the same that you can you can keep that exact face in all three of them. And on top of that, they actually brought in the default uh, fem chef with the red hair into the first and second game. So even from the beginning, you can play the more iconic, better looking version versus the potato uh, film chef you got in the original Mass Effect 1. <laughs> so I, I usually do a custom build. Um, I, I know this isn't even one of our round tables, but um, interestingly enough, um, I use this like sort of purplish red hair in the first and second games, And then in the third game, because it like turned into this weird translucent one where like depending on the lighting, like parts of it would be this like metallically purple, parts of it would be red in places. I'm like, this is really cool. But the first game, it's just like one color. Second game, one color. Third game, it's like this 
you know, actually shifts with the light, and it's really cool. And I'm sorry, the, the, that that I, I enjoyed that. I wish there was a way we could like all post, um, like get a screenshot of our ships and post it along with like with with this uh, podcast. Yeah, I don't even know how to get screenshots off of a 360. To be honest with no. you, no. Yeah, I, I mean, I just played it on PC recently, so you know that's not an issue here. <laughs> yeah, and mine are actually going to be in the review. Funny enough, my shepherd actually—he's a black dude with like purplish cornrows. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> hey, you know what? Why not? Do it. Do it. <laughs> but I respect when pe- Pascal. I respect it when people just make the ugliest character model they can. To play through it just for the lulls. That's it's, it's funny chef's enough kiss. because of a testament to the writing, uh, because of the quality of the games. Like even the you know even even the ugly looking character, he grows on you, and by the end, you kind of you kind of look past his appearance. Like in my mind, Shep looks like that, but he, you know he's a like because I, I I played in Paragon, so he's a stand up guy. Like so, you look kind of you learn to look you look past all that. And that's a good way segue into our next questions so everybody paragon or renegade paragon except for when it came to that oh what was that that jerk's name oh god which jerk the cerberus guy yes oh what's his name caden No, not Caden. The one voiced by martin sheen right oh man that's the uh elusive man yeah oh i don't think you can do anything with him can you do you have a choice to like knock him out or anything not really no i don't think so no I mean, I'm sure you could at least get sassy with him a little bit, can't you? <laughs> oh, Kyleen. You have Paragon you're sassy with him. That's his name, Kyleen. Kyleen. Oh, Kyleen. Yes, I, I have to use the Renegade option for Kyleen. Um, that, and there are a few other times where I just got very emotionally destroyed by the trilogy and just said, nope, I'm not playing good guy right now. You're going to die, or this big sacrifice is going to happen. Yeah. Um, one, I will agree. Like, generally speaking, I'm, I'm all for, I'm, I'm Paragon. I mean, there are a few choices where, uh, for the resource points, Renegade's the good option. Um, specifically, the one, um, Asari, who you keep running into wh- wherever Reaper Tech's involved with technology, first starting in Vermeer, because um, you can get her as a resource point, but then she turns out to be indoctrinated and kills people. So I just kill her. Um, but like Kai Lang, yeah, definitely agree. I love punching him in the face and shooting him. Oh, I just remembered. I think I punched that one reporter. And in... is that who we're talking about? Is the no. reporter? Okay. No, because no, I re- was a woman. Yeah, I remember punching the reporter in the face, but. Right. I thought she was a bitch and I didn't like her. So yeah. she was oh, and out Delani, yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you don't punch her in the face, if you actually wait, you get a paragon option that allows you to recruit her for resource points. Yeah. Um, I never punched her. I it, no, it's funny, do I don't know. I just kind of never allowed, did punch her. But then it was funny because in the third one, after seeing the way she's like so emotional about the whole thing happening and how she's really just trying to get Earth people to pay attention to what's going on at Earth, I have to say I, I ended up veering into the pro Ben and Al Jelani camp. I don't know if there's even more people in there, but I'm, she I'm not a surprisingly character. She, to me, she comes off a little bit as a paparazzi. But, you know, sometimes the world does need newscasters like that, whether or not it's a good thing or not. I, I'm not here to debate that. 
But the, I will say, I love punching the one admiral from the Quarian fleet in the gut, though. Oh, yeah, I definitely have to punch him. I forgot about that. Was that <laughs> the person that put Tali on trial? Pretty much. Okay, yeah, I think I took him out, too, because he pissed me off. No, because that happens in the third game. Oh, okay, never mind then. I'm misremembering. My bad. But you may have wanted to in the second game, and it's totally justified. But yeah, yeah in the cause... third game, he, he basically, you're on a Geth mu- a battleship, and he tells the quarry in the fleet to fire on it with you still inside. Yeah, I think that's a punch-worthy crime. Yeah, you, so you punch him and tell him to get off your ship. Yeah. Well, also because I'm also admittedly a fan of, um, we haven't talked much about him. Um, oh, my God. Names are not coming to me right now. Um, uh, ooh, come on. It's a biblical reference. Um, Legion, Legion, Legion. Legion. Um, I was, I ended up loving Legion. Legion. I shouldn't say not Legion. Legion. <laughs> Legion is a whole different thing. <laughs> loving Legion. Um, and so the guy being like, we gotta just destroy them and take them out. I was like, screw you. You are not going to destroy Legion. <laughs> Legion's my buddy. Leave him alone. <laughs> I I love getting, like, Tali and Legion to work together in two. And Legion's ending, it, I will say, it, it doesn't make me cry. There's very few things in no. video games that have made me cry. But it definitely made me feel a little depressed with what his sacrifice to the Geth. Yeah, you gotta add him to that list we were talking about earlier. Oh, when he says, does this one have a soul? Okay, I'm a big crybaby, so I cried throughout. No, no, no. (laughs) If you get, like, there's certain things you can do in two, and you can actually, like, get both the Geth and the Corian on your side at the same time. But to do that, Legion will sacrifice himself to upgrade all the Geth so they're more individualized. Yeah, I think I got yeah, that too. Basically, I, I think it was like basically so that they evolved from the synthetic, almost like a, almost kind of like the synthesis ending, but like a prequel to the synthesis ending, because you're yeah. basically taking off their limitations to where they're becoming more not just human, but having In- that individualized is the way I put it. Yeah, yeah. So, because they have, they, they, you know, they have upgrades that make, and, and then with them working with the quarries, you actually, you know, get some data emails in the game where they're like, well, with the help of the Geth, you know, we, you know, we have managed to do in weeks what would have taken decades. And it's just like, it, you know, Legion is definitely one of those characters. I think the players, as a whole really felt for in the end you know at first he was like oh my god this geth he's helping us but oh my god josh did you get a chance to say yours oh no no i mean like i played mostly like like most everyone i played mostly paragon and kind of like picked some of the renegade options whenever that kind of like felt satisfying or made things easier i still remember one of those times i think you were infiltrating some base and you and your 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 crew come up and that you've come upon this guard and he's all flustered and you're like like which way which way do I need to go and you're, you're you know like you're threatening him and the guy's just like completely flustered and you have this option to do the renegade option you just like push him off and kill the guy and like Garrus was in my party and he just kind of turns to me and he's like damn like remind me never to piss you off shepherd <laughs> <laughs> I think I choose that option like every time. <laughs> 
Oh, all, all those little moments between the characters are great in this game. Yeah, no, the character interactions are great. Um, in fact, I there's a card game called Cards Against Humanity. Yeah, I've heard of it. Okay, and they actually put out a Mass Effect pack. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm. I own it. And so um, one of the cards, because in the first game, a lot of the side missions came up in the elevator. And then they even make references to the elevators in the later games. um, Because the elevators were the way they hid the loading times in, like, the Citadel. Yeah, I remember that. And it's, like, really long. And so one of the cards is, like, really long elevator rides. But the elevator rides were also, like, when you had some of those character interactions between your party, you know, like, you know, they would talk amongst themselves. Garrus so. and Tally in particular, I think, I can't remember if it was in the second one or the third one, um, when he's like, hey, Tally, remember those conversations in the elevator? She's like, I don't want to talk about it. She's like, what? He was like, what was it like to be on the flotilla again? And she's like, I'll kill you. There are so many good moments. Oh wow! So, so then let me ask you guys. So, do you have a favorite moment in the trilogy? Man, there there are so many good ones. Um, the 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 favorite, my favorite action moment is probably the Shadow Broker DLC. Even after all these years, I still remember like where you're fighting on the outside of the Shadow Broker's ship, and there's like this storm going on in the planet, and you're fighting for where you're fighting across it, going from one piece of cover to another. All your party members are like quipping all the way across. It was just like. It's just like the highlight of that game for me, like where everything came together, the combat, the storytelling, the characters. It was just like fantastic. And, you know, like for like a quieter moment, like I think it must have been in the Citadel DLC where they added in a little bit of extra between uh, like Shepard and whoever you were dating. And that like that, that little extra scene, you know, between in that in my case, it was like Fem Shep and Garrus was just like like, a, you know, like a nice little touching way to send them off. See, my favorite quiet moment in the game was stumbling upon a bachelor party in one of the places, in one of the cafes. <laughs> yeah, where uh, I, is, that was one of mine too. Uh, it's yeah. on Ilium in the second game. Yeah, it, and it's what, what's Iliara's race? As as a Mari? It was an Asari. As- and then there was a male Solarian, Turian, and human. Yeah, and just their their banter had had me laughing so hard. So I thought I was going to cry laughing at some of their banter, particularly that wow, that doesn't look comfortable at all. From I think the Solarian. Yeah. So I like that one too, but for a different reason. And if you if you're there long enough and you hear or you go by it enough times, you hear this one conversation where they're talking about how the Asari look, and each of them are commenting about aspects of their own race. So it makes you think that we don't really know what the Asari actually look like. Because they keep commenting, like, the Turian's like, no, no, they have that, you know, they have those head fringes, you know, because they have the head fringe that really goes back. And then the human's like, no, no, they look just like us. And it's like, and then the Turian's like, shut up, you're about to ruin a sorry for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that was the one that had me had me going really laugh, uh, laughing really hard. Yeah, but it, it also makes us wonder, what, what did the Asari were actually supposed to look like? Because we don't I, know. 
I, I don't know either. Because we always saw him as humanist, as sort of human looking, because we were always playing as a human. Mm-hmm. Um, did you have a favorite moment, Robert? Um, so besides the bachelor party like you, um, I really enjoy um, having recently played it again, um, the synthesis ending. And because um, it was narrated by Edie, who, you know, was the ship's computer in two, and she's still the ship's computer in three, but she also gets a um, a mobile platform, <laughs> is the best way to put it, with a lot of curvature. But she, you know, because of the synthesis ending, you know, synthetic life form is now able to be alive, and her narrating that, um, really added something to the scope of that ending. I'm not saying the endings themselves were great, but I think that really made that ending more enjoyable because of how they decided to have the one character who really could equate what being alive was compared to the others who were now, you know, the you know the synthesis of you know machine and non-machine, where she had never been alive before. She she really was able to narrate it well and i thought and i thought that was a really good thing besides the bachelor party the bachelor party is still like top notch yeah um jarvon did you say yours yet yeah i would well i would say for me um uh kind of going back to what josh mentioned about you know the the extra moments that happen with the citadel for me it's burning steak with kaden in the apartment (laughs) just because um one of the things i really needed from the ending was not necessarily a different ending i'm ultimately okay with the ending even if it is very gut-wrenching for me um but i just wanted just a couple more moments because especially if you play male shepherd and you romance Caden, you don't get any full intimate interactions until like the last quarter of the game and so I, I just wanted something to feel a little more like, you know, like they were doing something kind of normal. And so just having that moment where Shepard, uh, where, where um, uh, Shepard's like, hey, um, they're, they hang out at, um, you know, his apartment. And he's like, hey, we're going to, um, where do you want to go um, to have dinner? And Kaden's like, nah, we're not going to, we're not going to go out. I'm going to cook for you. He's like, what? You want to cook for me? He's like, yeah, we're going to end up back here anyway. So then he's, and he's Canadian. So he's like, um, we're going to, I'm going to make you the food of my people. And so they start, <laughs> it's very cheesy. I love it. So he's like trying to fix stuff, but uh, Shepard's constantly flirting with Caden. And then Caden ends up basically burning the steak. <laughs> And um, they still kind of eat, but it ends up being this sort of like just adorable back and forth where you see out of all this horrible stuff that's happening in that game. Because I will say playing through Mass Effect 3 is such a grueling experience. (laughs) It is so nonstop punch, 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 a lot of emotional, uh, emotionally exhausting uh, story bits. It was just so nice to have this quiet, intimate moment, which is almost like the most fan fiction-y thing I've ever experienced in a video game. So for me, yeah, I would have to say Burning Steak with Caden in the Citadel is my, like, pinnacle moment. I mean, in a, in a game, a bombastic action game like Mass Effect, those quiet moments kind of what sell it, or are what sells it. True. Um, especially if you're try, trying to, you know, role play like you 
you actually would be in the game. Yeah, there. Um, now I'll say I'll save this comment for our next bit. So yeah, um, Pascal, did you say yours? Well, I I did not, but um, unfortunately, I don't have like a my memory's not good enough to remember a specific moment like you guys have said. So for me, it's just the um, like the overall experience of the suicide mission is just the the thing that I remember going. Uh, going down as like the the most uh, I don't know well memorable there you go yeah but we've already so tense. talked about it, it was at length. so good yeah mm-hmm. yeah very and, tense everybody kind of gets to be get their hero moment uh, yeah T two inspired final boss was kind of a mind fuck but still neat <laughs> like I would say um, maybe things about that that kind of uh, helped like cemented more for me is because well like I said I've only played once so that to me is how the story does play out. And um, and I made it I made it through with with everybody surviving. But to, that that just increased the uh, like the emotion in Mass Effect three when like what is it like half of them or, you know, a number of them, some of the best characters from that from that group do meet their end. So it, it, like, you know, it, it almost seems like that would kind of negate like why the suicide mission is important. But like, I kind of feel like it maybe even assists it in a way. Cool. Uh, and um, Josh kind of already answered this one a little bit, but did, was there any must-play DLC that you guys liked? I, I skipped out on all the DLC because I played it so late. And it was more expensive than the games by that point? Y- yeah. Point. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, that's the I point mean, of the Legendary Edition. You get it all! Uh, unfortunately, I did. I bought this before the Legendary Edition came out. So Get the Legendary Edition! You get it all! <laughs> I, I only played Shadow Broker, and I never buy DLC. I don't even remember why I purchased it that time, but it was worth it because um, Shepard got reunited with his uh, with his wife after cheating on her for a game. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I mean, I, pl- I played pretty much all the DLC that had been available um, on the PS3 and and then, again, with Legendary Edition. Um and again with the additions before that on the PC because I own everything, <laughs> um, and so. But I gotta say, hands down, the Citadel DLC um, is is just hands down the best. It it had you know slow moments. It had a good story moments. Um, it had just a whole bunch of things. It had some mini games which Mass Effect really didn't have. Um, I mean, it, the only like they have these mini games where you know it's like a crane machine and then you actually have the one a mini game where you're actually you know in a battle arena but which has its own little story in it too which is fun and so i i absolutely love the citadel dlc in fact there's a um a youtube channel that made you know a little video about like the top seven love you know dlc that's love letters to fans and citadel was like on that list of their seven so i i I can't help but say citadel is just the top dlc shadow broker is good i i will say that's like a number two but i think citadel definitely tops it 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 sounds like commander kiryu is coming to the to the citadel to play crane game pretty much i mean that's what it is it's it's i mean the whole thing is i mean even the area itself kind of looks like something you would see out of um, out of y- Yakuza 2. I mean, it really is. Yeah, I feel like Shepard would would go um, lay down some karaoke if he 
if he had the option. <laughs> With the bad dancing, yeah, totally. As a matter of fact, I think we asked this question on RPG Cast for me, and Dan- everybody said either Citadel or Shadow Broker or Bro- both, and I do regret not playing those. Yeah, I'm pretty That's much in camp with Robert on on. It's funny. I was actually just looking at the notes. We wrote both hands down Citadel. <laughs> Boom. And it's just it's just for me. I mean, I already mentioned it, but burning steak with Caden was amazing. Um, but beyond that, though, it was just it, it's such a great story. Like spoilers, but uh, the whole having your doppelganger there. Um, it's just it, it it really was very a very big piece of self-aware um content it was mass effect doing what it does best which was uh writing a lot of interesting scenarios also not taking itself too seriously and also poking fun of itself um you you constantly had moments where the 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 game was sort of like you know making fun of shepherd making fun of some of the things that constantly happen um oh and the return of rex that was amazing having rex actually as a playable character I brought him along. Between him and Caden, and Caden's very tanky. I, w- I felt the most protected I ever did in this entire trilogy when I was playing a squishy uh, biotic. Um, it was amazing. And he had, Rex had, and, it, and Rex wasn't just thrown in there. Rex had really great, um, his, his um, AI was very well, uh, cr- very well done. He was very tanky, very like just literally going to run up to enemies and just headbutt them. But also he had really funny dialogue in there too. I forgot what he said, but he kept calling all the enemies we were fighting princess. Like, come back here, princess. Or where do you think you're going, princess? <laughs> or something like that. Like, it was just so much fun. I, Max is a great character. Yeah, he is. I have a soft spot for the bruiser bruiser characters in any RPG. See, see Doji and Yeez. I, I feel bad that I kill him. <gasps> Oh. I tried to save him. I, I'm pretty sure oh, I, I can, saved him. I always have the ability to save him. I tend not to for the resource points because I'm an evil man. Except the first game playthrough, I will say, I like him better than his brother. His brother's a dick. <laughs> so what do you guys do when you replay a game like this multiple times? Do you, like, after you've replayed it a couple of times, do you then choose which way to you is, like, the official version in your head? Or do you always go with your first playthrough as that's the way the story really goes? Um, when I play a game, especially like this, multiple times, I try to do different things every time. Um, no, yeah, right. And I guess I would too. But what I'm asking is like, well, I guess I just What's assumed that. I guess I assumed you wanted one version of the events to be, you know, your official. Yeah, that your head cannon. But maybe I was, maybe that was, I was just assuming incorrectly. And maybe not everybody wants that. I, I don't know. When it comes to games like this with branching story paths, I sort of like try to go off into the weeds to see like where the story will end up. I'm just the boring person who goes and does the same one. But that's just because for me, this trilogy is very much like comfort food. So for me, I, I don't go in expecting like new branches and stuff. For me, it's very much just like, you know, on a snowy or rainy day, pulling out that that stuffy blanket, stuffy, itchy blanket getting out that soup and just kind of, you know, sitting in, kind of going with, like, the nostalgic piece for for me. So I, I definitely, as a matter of fact, I will restart 
a whole playthrough if something doesn't go the way I want it to. I'm very I'm retentive like that. Like I'm so hardcore in my like my 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 specific way of doing it. Yeah. Oh, that that's perfectly valid. I I get that. I think I know we talked about it already, but I think to me that's why like the ultimate ending of Mass Effect 3 is a little bit weakened because um because I did I viewed all three endings, so that means to me, I don't really know how the story ends because it's, you know, I, I, I saw it all three ways. Right. Um, and so it, it makes it more forgettable. Like I, I know how individual characters story ended and just how it how it went down up to that point. And then it just kind of I don't know. I just I guess I just it, it washed the rest of that from my memory because it doesn't have a definitive way how it occurred in my mind. Okay. I killed the podcast. OK, no. I, no, it's fine. It's fine. We're we're sort of kind of winding down anyway, because the last question I had, you know, talking about Jarvan's uh, nostalgia, do you have any memories while you was playing this game? I mean, what what was going on in your life? Uh, so I'll I'll make mine very short. Uh, as a matter of fact, I like one of the things that I will admit I've been trying to get myself to do is to finish this darn review because. I've been wanting to write editorials on the more personal experience of playing Mass Effect again. Um, but uh, long story short with that, um, Mass Effect 3 came out in a very um, dark, very uh, struggling, very um, hard time for me. Um, I had just finished uh, getting my bachelor's. It was the first time I was really thrown into the real world, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, those nights of staying up late, playing video games and, you know, maybe skipping class here or there too. Um, it was stark, um, realizing that, you know, the world could care less if I had, a you know, my, my bachelor's in English and, um, uh, religious studies and creative writing was, uh, it, it was a harsh thing to hear. But on top of that, just like on a personal note, I, I always have struggled with mental illness, um, uh, and uh, it really pushed me um, uh, in that moment. And, um, and also, around the time the game came out was when my real first job didn't pan out. And I pretty much had my boss tell me, uh, basically, she was like, we tried with you. It didn't work. Um, I don't know what I did wrong. Or she said, I don't know what I did wrong with you. Um, and having that whole negative experience was just so hard for a, a new undergrad. And so going through that very dark moment where everything just feels hopeless and I was struggling with suicidal ideation and you see Shepard going through that psychological torment with the dream background, all this stuff. It was, a, it felt like a very mirror image of what I was going through at the time. So um, I feel like that's where I kind of found myself replaying, 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 almost in a way where it, it went from being helpful to almost kind of hindering. And so it, it was a very weird, I, I have like a very complicated history, especially with Mass Effect 3. And that's probably why it took me so long to really get through, even with the um, review, it's like having yeah. to go back and recount the story i'm like okay take a moment breathe you know you're it's not 2012 you're not going through that so it, it was a very weird time for me so this is definitely <laughs> heavy. i uh 
didn't mean to dredge up bad memories there. No, it's fine. It's fine. Because <laughs> uh, I'm sort of the exact opposite in that I have games that I was playing when I was going through my bad mental health stags that I can't even touch again because they I associate it too much. So Final Fantasy X was that for me for the longest time, but I kind of finally got past that, but not so much Metal Gear Solid 2. I still can't boot up that one for some reason. But I mean, it's it's a good thing that you kind of had the game to escape to during that tough time at the very least. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's why I tend to, it's funny, we're talking about how you know, uh, do we play the same thing over and over and over? Or do we go with the branch of paths? So I think I found comfort in that repetitive, the repetitive nature of it. Mm-hmm. So that's why I think I probably tend to go back and replay the same thing over and over and over because it, it's such a comfort thing for me. And on that head note, yeah, I was gonna say, like, okay, how do we, how do I transition from that? That was awkward, but I mean, I mean, thank you, thank you for sharing. I just always feel bad when people accidentally bring up their terrible memories. <laughs> but then again, I was that on the Sonic podcast, so there's that. Um, Josh, you have anything? Uh, I, like I was sitting here when, when you know, I was looking at this question, I was trying to remember, and it's just been so long, a lot of it has faded. I know it was, you know, like I had played KOTOR and some of the other earlier games, but I think this was right about the time when I kind of started branching out more into Western art. RPGs after playing Mass Effect. I don't know what it was about that, but like I really started branching out, like making an effort to branch out more into other stuff, play stuff like Deus Ex and that kind of thing. So I think it was like a, a good thing for me to kind of see see more of the 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 of the scope of RPGs rather than just kind of stay cloistered into JRPG land. Yeah, I yeah. thought you were the the Western RPG guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Who knew? <laughs> you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it always seemed to me like you were, but I've, I've been wrong before. I'm not perfect. Well, well uh, you know, on, on the scale on our site, maybe I am now. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, th- that's the thing. <laughs> when you're in the middle on a very Eastern-focused RPG site, you might, might as well be in left field. <laughs> well, there, there was a discussion on the forums just well, forums on Discord like a couple of days ago about what is a JRPG. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I think the the game the game that kicked it off was uh, the Demon Souls remake and how it's hmm, technically Japanese. Uh, well, I mean, not, not technically. It is Japanese. It is. Yeah. <laughs> I think like three of us said we're not having this discussion again. <laughs> yeah, I, I think on the old forums that was a banned topic because it always got very heated, particularly when people would bring up Zelda. So... You know, Western, uh, Eastern, well, who the hell cares, right? Or RPG, not RPG. Yeah. <laughs> so my, my favorite memory, and I remember this very well because I was missing like like just a few achievements for Mass Effect 3, specifically Mass Effect 3. So it was D&D night, and I told the guys, it's like, hey, guys, I'm like down to this final area of playing this on Insane and I, when I and they're like, okay, okay, you, you, you know, you can do it well, and you know, so they're playing D and D in the background. They're letting me play Mass Effect Three on the TV over there on my on my PlayStation Three, and I I, got, I managed to beat and got the platinum trophy for Mass Effect Three on the PlayStation Three for beating it on Insane, and I was like, yes, it's it's my only platinum trophy. 
Did you lose your shit when you got the trophy? A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> which which entry was this? Was this Mass Effect 1, 2, or 3? Three? 3. It was specifically 3. Okay, okay. I, I mean, first off, definitely kudos for playing on Insanity. I would have given you double kudos if you did Insanity on Mass Effect 1, because, dear God, anything oh, above Cornwall is like a nightmare. I'm, 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 I'm going to give it a few months, but I plan to do all three on Insane with, you know, to, to get that achievement, because to me, Mass Effect is worth doing it, even if, like, they saw me die like four or five times on that very last fight in Mass Effect 3. So I mean I'm I'm ready I'm 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 working towards it but I'm going to be like okay I've played all three right now right back to back I'm going to take a break but I will be back. I just have one more question for you. Who who's in your final party? Um, well it's it's always it's usually me and Garrus. Um, and then as far as the last slot, it depends on who I feel like. Nice. Garrus is like my mainstay party member because Garrus rocks. Yeah, <laughs> Garrus is my favorite character. Well, my favorite non-Elcor character, at least, because I love all the Elcors. <laughs> um, pa- Pascal, did we get your memories at all? You've gotten like 99% of them over the course of this podcast, I think. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I don't have a whole lot. I, okay. it, it, um, there, I guess there's uh, there's one thing I haven't said yet. So when I finished the first Mass Effect, um, it it was one of the few times um, that I've ever really like finished a game, and even even while the credits were still rolling across the screen, I was already I, I guess kind of like jonesing for the next one. Even I, I'm pretty sure when I played it, might have been a year or two after it came out, but there was no Mass Effect two yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like I wanted, uh, not not I didn't want to restart. I I wanted another game. I wanted the you know a part two, and um, it was also um, it was a game that uh, I, at the time my son would have been mm, I guess about seven eight maybe, and we kind of finished it together. Like he didn't. It, it's it's not a not a game for kids necessarily, and probably not even really interesting for for kids for that matter. Um, so he didn't play or watch me play it the entire time, but he he was there when I finished it, I remember. And we were having a conversation about it and, like, wanting to play another one just like it. I, like, the final um, showdown with um, with, with Saren Arterius. Uh, I, I don't remember specifically what was so good about it, but something uh, something about it. I guess resonated like it was a it was a good ending to a game. So yep, that's always cute. Father and son game time. I'm sorry, I just I've yeah. I've always got feels for that. Yeah. Um, that that reminds me. I need to go dig out weird dragon images from Dragon Quest Builders two to share. Um, j- just kind of getting into my memories. Uh, I mean my very recent memories because I remember that this is the game that I played before everything went to shit last year. <laughs> Do you like associate it with uh, with COVID? Oh, a, a little bit. I associate it with that kind of what feels like an innocent time before COVID changed everything. Because I picked up all three games on a road trip to Kansas City, and that was like one of the last times my husband and I went out that entire like went out of town that entire year. Um, cause around his birthday, we wanted to go to do a Kansas city trip just to kind of get out of the house. And, and just so you guys know, I mean, Kansas city is like a two hour drive from my house. So it's usually like drive up there, do some shopping, drive 
drive back down and there's a bunch of um, used game stores and stuff up there that I like to hit. And I had picked up the three games and my, my goal was to just play through the games as cheaply as possible. And at the used game stores, they're like a dime a dozen. I don't think I paid more than 20 bucks for the entire trilogy at that point. They haven't and, announced the Legendary Edition yet? Nope. Right? Oh, okay. No, And yeah, I mean, like I said before, I'd been kind of very av- adverse to Western RPGs up until that point. And once I started playing through that one, it's like, okay, these aren't too bad. I'm, I'm having fun. I'm loving the combat and stuff. Granted, I kind of didn't like the combat in 2 very much because it got a little more shootery and less rpg and... I don't know about you, but I can't hit the broadside of a barn with guns and a shooter. But I, I kind of got the hang of it. I just went sniper rifle pretty much the entire game. Yeah, and it, I, if, if you can't shoot, you either want sniper rifle or shotgun. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I really do regret not finishing that third game, and I'm going to get to it eventually. Uh, it was just one of those things that things kind of got crazy, and I think something that I had pre-ordered for the show came in at that point, and I kind of wanted to play the new thing to talk about it for RPG Cast instead of the old thing, because I had been, you know, talking about the old thing for, like, what, a month at that point and needed a break, so... Not to mention, yeah. like, humanity's on the brink of extinction. Here comes yeah, COVID. Do you want to play... Really. Do you want to play game number three? Yeah. About the extinction of humanity? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's true. I don't think that would have went over very well anyway. <laughs> I'm just... There are some things that you really don't want to touch with a 10-foot pole when the world's kind of crumbling around outside. I'll never forget trying to finish a Stephen King novel when the power was out during a tornado. And I was like, you know, I, I picked the wrong thing to do to pass the time for this. And I imagine that that last Mass Effect game would have been the same way. Uh, w- one of these days I will finish it. Probably. <laughs> I'll probably end up buying the the uh, new version and just playing through the entire trilogy again at this point. Which, you know, coming around to that way, I was kind of in the show with talking about how you can get the game. I mean, get, get that trilogy because it has all of the DLC, the game's... L- apparently look a lot better from what you guys were saying yeah um going to the playstation 3 version because I've, I've played both um especially in that original mass effect the lighting is like so dark in some of the areas that it's just it's hard to see where like where you need to go um mm-hmm. so th- some of the lighting you know areas that were much darker in the originals look a little brighter so there's not as hard to see where you're going and um so that that's one of the uh, the most uh significant area that i actually noticed that in was in the council chambers in mass effect one where like the original game it was looked very dark it was it's an enclosed space it just felt very and claustrophobic almost Mm -hmm. um but in the new game it's it's a much brighter space you're able to really see where you're going i mean that was the biggest issues i had with at least mass effect one was just everything was so dark on the ps3 yeah and if i would complain about anything about the new the new versions of the game is that i think it was kind of the ea being greedy thing to charge 60 bucks for it when um, some of the other companies like the, did the Bioshock collection and the Borderlands collection for forty. I don't know. Does it seem like a money grab to you? To you guys, or am I just being cheap? Yeah, 
I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's it's twenty bucks a game with all the DLC. It does. Yeah, it does. it's not the most egregious money grab we've seen in video gaming. Yeah, no, and, and, and let's also true. face it that Mass Effect is held to a very high standard of, for at least those three games, whereas Bioshock. Some, you know, Bioshock 1 is definitely held to a very high standard as far as, you know, being well-loved and whatnot. But as the games progressed, they kind of went, you know, the the feedback I have seen for them has been like, eh. Um, and, and, I mean, so- I'm also a giant hypocrite because I'm on record as defending the pricing of the uh, Mana collection, too. So. <laughs> the, the Witch collection? The Secret of Mana collection, because people didn't like that that was 40 bucks and thought it should have been cheaper. Yeah, I know. Includes, like, the Game Boy games? Yeah. Yeah, I have that one. Yeah, I have that one, too. And and the only reason I'm saying that is because, man, the the 360 and the PlayStation version, you can get for a song. uh, Unless, you know, the post-pandemic price hike of retro games has affected those as well. Sure it has. Or, you know, if if you really want to get some use out of that Wii U, there is the Wii U version of Mass Effect 3, which has the, uh, uses the bottom screen as a map. I have that in a box somewhere. (laughs) No DLC for that version, though. They totally got shafted on any DLC for that. EA man, EA, yeah, uh, that... half-hearted on the uh, Wii U support, but actually they were kind of right on that, so you know, can't blame them too much. <laughs> oh, history was right on that 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 poor system. It's it's the Nintendo Saturn. Yeah, all I need is Xbox Chronicles X to be ported off somewhere. Yep, and then I'm done, done with the Wii U. Oh, and and the superior version of Twilight Princess, but still. And the superior version of Deus Ex uh, Human Revolution, oddly enough. So go figure. The Wii U had a couple. Or went out for the uh, the, the weird guy with the extra tablet controller. Yeah, but yeah. at least Human Revolution is on Steam. Oh, it's the director's cut, too. Mm-hmm. You know, oh. there, there's, you know, other avenues for those games. But, you know, that that's, that's a cast for a different day. Xenoblade, no. Yeah, Xenoblade, there is no other option for... Chronicles X. Right. Uh, I think we've got a Chronicles X backtrack later, coming up later in the year, so we're definitely going to get into that. Um, As for Mass Effect, I mean, we sound like we're kind of coming up on the end. Do we have any final thoughts? Um, Definitely worth a playthrough. Um, Legendary Edition is definitely worth it, even if they couldn't scrounge one of the DLCs for Mass Effect 1. I think what they managed to get together is a very solid collection. Um, I, I, you know, for those who've played it before, um, and are like, eh, well, I've, you know, I've played the whole thing before, not really something I'm care for, you know, no, no harm, no foul. Um, for those who really want to give this a try, it's definitely worth the price. And those who are like, eh, I want to play it again, but I may wait for a price drop. That's, I think a very good solid option too, is, you know, wait for it to come down in price or get a sale and pick it up but the legendary edition is definitely uh i felt was definitely worth the purchase again that's after having purchased all three on the playstation 3 you just presented all three possible opinions though <laughs> i'm good like i i give i i'd like to give people their options definitely so the question was <laughs> is it worth buying yes it is but also if you don't want to play it that's that's okay too and if you want to wait for it you can do that too <laughs> 
Because you know there's going to be that one person in the comments who always going to be like, well, I don't want to play this again. Well, don't! (laughs) I mean, I'm sure EA is going to put it on sale probably around Black Friday. I don't see why they wouldn't. Just just be aware you do have to have an Origin account to play it. On PC? Yes. So even if you buy it from Steam, um, Steam links to your origin account to play anything that's an EA game that you buy from Steam. I, I was under the impression that origin went under, but that's just what I know. Well, they're still around. Uh, I think there's enough like fantastic storytelling in the trilogy, you know, regardless of whatever, um, whatever flaws the individual games have that it's definitely worth playing. If you've never played it, I, I, I've played it once. I'm more than satisfied with that. Uh, but for, you know, for, never having played it before that this is a good um a good thing to try uh, and the the thing i'd piggyback on that is that it is even if you're not into shooters like they have they give you enough difficulty levels and they give you enough different ways to build your character that you can still play through the game and enjoy the story and don't have to like be like dragged down by the uh by the combat oh yeah because i i played all three or Two, two and a half of them on baby mode. So th- there's no worrying about getting through the, the combat if you're averse to shooters. Yeah, yeah I, I, admit, and I think I, the combat's never good enough that anybody plays them for that reason either. So you're not missing out by playing in easier mode. Yeah. yeah. I will admit, I played it on easy and I played Mass Effect 3 on insane. There was no in between. <laughs> I mean, I, I know that the, the hot topic this week is uh, accessibility in games, but never be shamed into not wanting to play the game on the difficulty that you're comfortable with, ever. And I would uh, say, like, um, you know, I, I definitely agree. Like, I, I mean, pretty much like what I said in my review, um, I, I do think it is, um, it is worth buying because it does hold up well. Um, even today, as far as storytelling, even some of the graphics, um uh especially i hate i hate throwing porn drama under the bus again but especially if you compare mass effect 3 the the mass effect 3 hd scenes versus the andromeda there's you know there's uh you just notice the differences i've 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 played andromeda multiple times i've also played uh the other games multiple times and there's just something you notice with like the way the eyes dart um, there, there's more of a almost a cinematic immersive feel that just really sticks. Um, and uh, I forgot what my other point was going to be. Um, but yeah, I, I would say uh, it is. Oh yes, another thing I was going to say is um, I think it was a very smart idea for Bioware to actually release this because, given speaking of Andromeda and Anthem, you know. Oh, I think you're about to make my point. Inquisition, they've been having a very spotty reputation lately. And so I think releasing this and also seeing it be very successful in its sales was a huge reminder that Bioware is, um, you know, Bioware is capable of creating something good. And I'm, I'm personally hoping as a huge fan of them that they're going to use this momentum to continue to rebuild that sense of respect and and 
um, that sense of respect that a, a lot of people have. So here's hoping that it, you know, yeah. I, I think it was a very important thing that they made this decision too. I was about to say something similar, but you're speaking a little bit more in present tense. I was going to refer to it in more past tense terms. But you got to remember also that it's been 14 years since the first one came out. And there's a whole new group of gamers who weren't around to play them back then. Maybe don't even have those systems in their home that, that they could have been played on now that they're, you know, a little older. Um, so and, and we had referred earlier, I think I, I forget who it was. Maybe it was Jervon. Somebody had mentioned about uh, how Bioware was. Rather than saying is, I'm thinking more past tense, like highly respected, like as far as storytelling goes. And when you look at stuff like Anthem um, and and other recent games, this is this is a good example of why. So it's might also be useful for that purpose. You know, if you you have a um, a teenage gamer who's of of an age to be able to experience this and hasn't, you know, there you go. There's your your perfect way to get them into uh, like some of the highlights from Bioware's past. Very true. Yeah, no, well, I mean, well, well said. Uh, I think we're ready to put a put this one to bed. Um, should we? Should one of us go wake up, Matt? Pascal, you live in Florida. Well, actually, I'm. I gotta wait for the Bioware check to come in the mail now. Okay. They're gonna. <laughs> they have to pay us for that, right? I mean, I I wouldn't I, say no to a little kickback, but I don't know how our uh, site owners would feel about that. <laughs> That was a lot of praise just now. Hey, yeah. at least it came after, you know, at least it was not beforehand like some people have done recently. Well, that's why we need Matt to wake up. He's going to edit this and put that in the beginning of the show and maybe replay it two or three times during the show. I was going to say, just because you said it now doesn't mean that it can't be repeated in this episode like 20 times. <laughs> Matt, th- thank you for at least putting up with us because apparently we just steamrolled you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, no. and before Matt, Matt puts this to bed, I just want to thank everybody. Th- thank Jarvan, our new guy, for um, coming in at the last minute since we had a schedule change. It was a pleasure to have you on. And of course, our our past guests, Pascal, Josh, and Robert. You guys are always awesome. Thanks, all of you guys. You're welcome. Thank you. All right. So if you have made it all the way to the rear end of this episode... You might have noticed you didn't get much of the Matt effect tonight. You know, this isn't a series I played, so maybe like some of you subscribers out there, you were just like a casual listener like me sitting on our derrieres and just rarely speaking. However, I did learn a lot tonight here at the tail end of the show, and I'll share a few things with you. If you're interested in controlling your Mako jank level, the legendary edition of these games is the way to go. If you're more interested in cracking up at tight ass shots, you're going to want to track down the original editions. But, you know, most importantly, if you're just just fascinated in probing Uranus, you're fine either way. Although I hear the experience might leave you feeling a little depleted. 